Okay, we're here. Just in case you weren't awake. I hope you are now. Um, Good to see everybody tonight. A rainy night, but folks are here, so it's good. And I think we'll just do a... Uh, We'll do the message, and then we can do a read through the Bible tonight, so we avoid going into the storm. All in favor, say aye. No, okay. Um, Brothers and sisters, let's just keep continued prayers for the Marini family. Um, The service was a blessed time that they were able to have, but again, just keep prayers. Prayers for salvation, prayers for the family, prayers for travel back, prayers for Pastor David. Um, Thanking the Lord, uh, Pastor Jeff and Linda back safely. We're getting all of our folks that are on the road back safely, so... Uh, That is a very, very good thing. And reminder to just keep praying for the fruit of seeds that are being planted. I think about the conference that uh, Jeff and Linda were at. Pray for those pastors and the families and the leadership that were there. Pray for the fruit that was planted with the messages they heard that they go back. They bear the fruit that's needed. When we think about what we heard of Tunisia, continue to keep that in prayer. Pray for those seeds that are planted. Pray for Israel. Pray for our country. Pray for salvation. Pray for the church, the body of Christ, as I said earlier, to stay rooted in the word of God. And pray for the body of believers that we truly praise our king. Because that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. And it really, this text, I'm excited for us to dig into it. But it really does make you have to come face to face with how you praise and to really think about that, ponder that, and glean that wisdom. Also, encourage us to keep in prayer the primaries, March 5th. Um, It is important, I believe, for us to remember to engage, to vote the Bible, and to not be lazy about it. Um, Because I think far too often we can be rapture waiters, we're sitting on our hands, and he's going to come at some point, I don't have to do anything, I don't have to engage. No, we've got to be actively engaged, sharing the gospel and voting the Bible. As somebody who is a former educator, I can tell you, the things that are going on right now, we need to be engaged it's an all-out assault on youth. It's an all-out assault on all things that God stands for. We need to be engaged. So vote the Bible. Be engaged. And if you show up next week without an I voted sticker, you're in trouble. No, I'm just kidding. Or am I? Be engaged. All right. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us together in your house, Lord. Thank you for the chance to dig into your word, Lord. Thank you for the chance to commune with you. Heavenly Father, we do pray for salvation, Lord. There are so many souls in this world, Lord, who don't know you, who don't know Jesus. We pray that they come to know, Lord. We pray that the church, the body of believers, would stand on the word of God and would boldly share who you are, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray for the seeds that have been planted as you've extended the arms of this church in so many different places, Lord. Bear the fruit that is needed for your glory. Minister as only you can, Lord. And Father, be with us now as we dig into your word. Prepare us for what you have. Help us to humbly cast aside distractions and focus on you, our King. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we were in Psalm 29, enthroned forever, and we got to see through a portrait of quite a powerful storm, David pointing to our majestic God, David pointing to his sovereignty, to his eternal throne. It was a royal psalm pointing to King Jesus to come. It was 
reminding us of the eternal king forever and ever and ever. And we have a beautiful gift that the end of that psalm gave, the final verse. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. That's a gift. That's a verse you memorize, you pray, you remind yourself of it as you're going through each and every single day. Because from this psalm last week, we were reminded that no matter what the storm is going on, Jesus is above it. I talked about last week, give the storm a name and remember that Jesus is the name above all other names. So he's above it. And I ask you, do you really rejoice in that? And as we think about rejoicing in our Lord, I hope that you prayerfully see the link to his sovereignty, his power with tonight's study of Psalm 30. But before we do that, homework check, charge check. One, last week with the charge, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. We saw that in verse two, give unto the Lord the glory due to his name, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. How did you do seeking to do that? How did you do having the Lord examine your heart before you worshiped? How did you do going to him in song? How did you do exploring how you're living? Does your life radiate obedience to the Lord as a worship song? And to the beauty of his holiness. Remembering that God set us apart. Are you living set apart? How did you do with that? Two, did you figure out where in creation... You can see or hear the voice of God. Where can you decide that you know, you know, when I look at the mountains, for me it's mountains. When I go into the mountains and I climb up a mountain and look at everything there, it's just the majesty of God. There's no way to not know there is a God of creation, period. It's in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, real time. It's just right there. And three, what storm are you in? Because there's all different kinds of storms that we all have taking place. What storm are you in right now? Give it a name and prayerfully remind yourself who's above that storm. Jesus. Who's in control? Jesus. We can think about everything I just said with culture. Who's still on the throne? Always going to be on the throne. Our king. God. Jesus. But in the midst of that recalling within the storm, what do we fight with? The word of God. And when we think of that, it is written, it is written. What ministered to Jesus at the end? Angels, the Lord, going to him, realizing not only is he on the throne in control, but at the end of the storm, guess who's going to minister to us? Jesus. Now tonight we're going onward with Psalm 30. And the title of tonight's method, uh, method message is Why Extol? Why Extol? Extol. So Psalm 30 is a psalm of thanksgiving. It is a psalm of praise. This is an individual thanksgiving psalm, a psalm of one giving thanks unto God. This is a psalm acknowledging God's deliverance. There's a call on others to join into the praise unto him. He recalls the sin that brought the need for deliverance, and he renews a desire to praise God. And a determination we'll see at the end to praise God forever. We're talking about eternal praise. This is a psalm of declarative praise coming from a determined heart. This is a psalm that's going to have us remind ourselves why we offer praise to God. 
and the necessity to do so. And that we offer this praise not just once in a while. Not just Wednesday night before prayer and Sunday morning. But it's something we should be offering daily and often. So question I have for you. When was the last time you went, got in a room, closed the door, got on your knees and offered praise unto God? Without a timer, without a clock, with any care about time. But just, I'm coming to praise you. When was the last time you did that? When's the last time you did that? The text tonight is going to have us have to ponder that. And I pray that it propels each and every single one of us to have a spark from the Holy Spirit lit within us to praise our Lord more. Daily and forever. It's like the worship song that we sing, I can't wait for eternity. Join the song, they're already singing, worthy, worthy, worthy are you, Lord. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. Now, the title of Psalm 30, a psalm, a song at the dedication of the house of David. So we know this is a psalm. We're in the book of Psalms. Surprise, it's a psalm. We know the authorship is David. Now, the Hebrew word for song there doesn't just point to song. This is a joyful song. We see that word used a few times in Genesis, a few times in Exodus, and in Psalms. Now, then we also see at the dedication of the house of David. Now, when we see that, there's two trains of thought that scholars will point to when we think of this dedication. So one could be thinking of David's house, the palace. And with that, we would look to 2 Samuel 5, and we would see the capturing of Mount Zion and the building of the capital of Jerusalem. And that would make sense when we see verse 7 and the point to the speaking of the mountains. And in this context, the pride of David among all of that brings about the Lord's chastening. Now, a second train of thought where I lean towards more as you look at the whole psalm would be speaking to the house being the temple. And when we look at that, we would look at 1 Chronicles 21 to the beginning of 22. We'd also look at 2 Samuel 24. And that's the time when the national plague strikes the people because of David's census, his numbering the people. First Chronicles 21.1. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Results in 70,000 people dying. Amidst this, we see David in distress. We see him wearing the typical mourning sackcloth, sackcloth pleading for God's mercy in First Chronicles 21.16. We see him get land for the temple to one day be built, and we see him use it as a personal worship site. And as we work through the text, you can see the either link when we think of the house. Again, I lean more towards it being the temple. When we look at all of the things that he mentions, he gives allusion to the sackcloth. We see the depth of the healing that he thanks the Lord for. Those ties truly being tied to what we see of the temple. Now, whichever train of thought one goes with, the most important thing is to realize the thing that is clear, the Lord forgives David. And in that, we see the mercy, we see the grace, we see the patience, we see the love, we see the tenderness, we see the faithfulness of God. And it moves David to worship. And it should move us to worship. Within this psalm, you're going to see about six times that, oh Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that covenant relationship. You're going to see you have, because the praise is all about God. 
It's all about him. It's all about what he's done. The psalm starts and ends with a declarative praise. And in the middle, we get the testimony of God's deliverance, the call for the congregation to praise, a man recounting his sin in the deliverance. And guess what? It should urge us to ponder, where has he delivered me? Where has God delivered me? What cause do I have in my life to praise? And so often when we ask that question, we think salvation. Not knocking that. That's something to praise. But what other cause do you have to praise the Lord? What other cause do you have? Why extol? Now, before we dig into that, raise your hand if you used the word extol in the last week to talk about something. No hands are going up. I wonder why. But verse 1, we see, I will extol you. Before we go on, yeah, 1828 Webster's is coming back, friends. Extol, to praise, to uh, raise in words or eulogy, to praise, to exalt in commendation, to magnify. Exalt, to praise. This is a praise with deep enthusiasm. This isn't just, I will praise you, O Lord. I will extol you, O Lord. And may that be a phrase we all say by the end of tonight. And now we see, so I will, it's a personal commitment. Notice that. David starts this off right away. It's personal. He's not saying we will. He's not saying someone will. I will. I will what? Extol you. Because the praise goes to one alone, God. The praise doesn't go to man. The praise doesn't go to ritual. It goes to God alone. For you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Why is he praising? God's lifted him up. The mighty king, the only deliverer, has delivered him from a circumstance of turmoil once again. Protected against his enemies. Notice that. He's lifted him up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. And that's an important thing for David because we've seen in other Psalms, he's prayed before, Lord, don't let them for your name's sake have that headway. And there's that blessing that we see here. They have not let my foes rejoice over me. Then verse two, O Lord, again that, O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. So he's going on, oh Lord, David cried out to one alone, God, and he personalizes it. My God. The heart of one here that we see is one that is in personal relationship with God. And we have to understand that because without the personal relationship, without the personal communion, without knowing him as my God, praise cannot happen. Praise cannot happen. Because you can't praise A God you do not know. There's one God of creation and it comes for knowing him. And it's that reminder again, we got to pray for the hearts for salvation. We have to pray for the soil of hearts. David cries out and he was healed. And if we think about the context of the plague that I mentioned, that's where again, a case for me where I see this is all tied to that moment. But he's praying for this healing. Now the healing, it could have been physical. The Hebrew word that's used there points to emotional, spiritual, forgiveness, mental. Points to the depths of various healing. And when we look at that, we have to recall and remember, brothers and sisters, there's one true healer only. God. 
One. Don't get it wrong. Don't get a miss. Last night in the men's study, we had a discussion on mental health. There was one of the young men who shared testimony of pills for all these different mental health things and then just coming to knowing the Lord, focusing on the word of God, and boom, cold turkey, done. And that's the reality of the power of a relationship, of a heart knowing and being able to say, my God. That's what that is. And David then continues now to help us understand why he extols. Verse 3. O Lord. Again, do you see? Third time now. That O Lord. That O Lord. It's not just Lord. It's not anything. It's that O which embodies so much emotion. Praise. My God. Sorry, verse 3. O Lord. You have brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive, and I should not go down to the pit. So we see that third, O Lord, and he's pointing to the emotion again in David's heart, the anguish, the turmoil, the distress. And then he points to the fact, when we look at this, that he has one default. God. That O Lord, third time, points to the fact, one default for him, God. Don't miss that because it's the third time he does it and each time he's doing it, that's his default. What is your default? Is it, oh, TikTok, oh, Sally, oh, bottle, oh, can of beer, oh, porn. What's your oh? Because if we're going to be real, we have other things we go to before we say, oh, Lord. And we have to have that discipline that it's, oh, Lord. And that, O Lord, God brought his soul up from the grave, kept him alive, and he didn't go down to the pit. David's remembering here, God's sovereign. God's the author and finisher. He's acknowledging, you alone, God, have sustained me. You alone, God, have kept me alive. That's something we need to remind ourselves. In a society that's me, 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 get the perfect diet, perfect pill, perfect nutrition, perfect routine, do all these things. You can make yourself live till you're 110. Let me tell you how with these five steps. No, we got to stop buying the pill of culture and trying to play God. God determines the beginning and end. Now, that doesn't mean that you then go have the Lord's chicken Chick-fil-A every day of the week, five times a day. No, that's not what I'm saying. We take care of our bodies. It's his temple. But we have to remember, as David is clearly facing death or near the brink of death, he knows there's one deliverer. There's one who's in control of life and death. God. David's I will extol that starts this song of praise. I remind you again, it's a heart that's in relationship. It's a heart from that relationship. Default cry out to God. He's delivered here. He's picked up from the pit because his dependency is on the intimacy and presence of God in his life. So then we have to think of ourselves. Think of your life. Think of your actions. Think of how you live. What does that reveal that you extol? What do your actions reveal that you extol? Do you even extol? It's a word that's lost in our society. I don't know many people saying extol, but Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, we're going to bring it back. We'll get t-shirts. Extol the Lord. But when we think about this, it's something we need to do. We need to praise our king. And I got a question I have to ask. Are you even able to praise? 
And that's a question that's sad but has to be asked. And it could seem odd to say it, but so many professed or truly born-again believers struggle to praise. They struggle to extol our Lord. Inventory time. When was the last time in the middle of your day, you're driving and you just start praising the Lord? You just start giving praise to the King. When was the last time you just stopped doing what you were doing, whatever it may be, and just said, I got to give thanksgiving to the Lord? When was the last time when you looked up and saw a gorgeous sunset or saw a beautiful starry sky and don't just do the wow, praise God, but then stay there and praise the Lord? Give him praise for he is holy, he is worthy, he is mighty, he is faithful, he is true, he is alpha, he is omega. When's the last time you did that? David's prayer here is dependency and communion with God. And from that, we now see in verse 4, he shifts to remind the congregation, you too need to praise. Because guess what, saints? Praise is a gift, praise is a tool, praise is a weapon. And we see verse 4. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. It's the call for saints of God to give thanks to him and to remember his name. Do you do this? And again, I'm not just talking about as a family, we hold hands before the meal and we bow our heads and say thanksgiving to God. Okay, that's nice. That's not what I'm talking about. I say praise the Lord. Good. So do lots of people. I'm talking about going before him and have the practice and discipline of thanksgiving and recalling his name in your life. Do you do that? And in the midst of calling on that praise, in the midst of David saying, praise the Lord, saints, praise, remember his name, he then now gives us with this next verse a reminder of the character of our God. Verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. God's anger momentary, his favor eternal. Do you relish that? The favor of the Lord is eternal. Do you relish that? Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Verse 5, this is a sweet verse that is a comfort verse. We use it to comfort in trials. We use it to comfort in storms of lives. We use it when someone loses a beloved loved one or they're facing a trial or they're facing illness. And it's aptly so. We have to use it. But when you do, are you looking to the depth of what David's revealing? What the Lord through David reveals about his character? Weeping indoors for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, this isn't saying you're going to be boohooing at night and you're going to wake up in the morning and you have no reason to boohoo. Everything's picture perfect. Can that happen sometimes? Yeah, praise the Lord. But that's not what we're talking about. What we're looking at here, morning always follows night. No matter what, it's nighttime right now, there's going to be a morning tomorrow. Then there's going to be another nighttime, and there's going to be another morning. Maybe there'll be a rapture. Let's pray. But that's what's going to be going on. Lamentations 3, 22, 23. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions, what? Fail not. They are new when? Every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In the midst of a trial, of a storm, the darkness, in that moment of the Lord's loving chastening, and that's right, I said loving, 
for our disobedience, we have to recall something. Great is his faithfulness. We have to remember God is the same yesterday, today, forever. We have to remember when we are faithless, he is faithful. He cannot deny himself. We serve a faithful God who is everlasting, eternal, mighty, and in control. That's the comfort we're getting from verse 5. God is in control, period. There's no debate about that. God is in control. Now, in that, we may not always understand it. We may not always understand how his grace is working. We may not always understand how his mercy is working. We may not always understand the way of his will with the circumstance. But that does not change who he is. When we praise our king, something important happens. Our eyes come off of ourselves. Our eyes come off of our circumstance. We come off of our limited human perception. And then we focus on one thing, God. Jesus, his spirit. We focus on the triune God. We focus on who is in control. And suddenly an eternal perspective comes. And guess what we realize? Joy comes in the morning. And that joy coming in the morning, we realize something else. There's a promise here. God will deliver. The deliverance is going to look the way he ordains, but he will deliver. That deliverance may be a change of circumstance. That deliverance may be him taking you home but he will deliver. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. And this is in the context of his anger for a moment. Because there is that, there is those moments. Now if we start Hebrews 12, remember Hebrews 11, that beautiful hall of faith as we all call it. Go back, read it, it's always a good one. And then because of that, verse 12, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, everyone that we saw because of all that, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's a verse many of us know, but do you really take the time to say, Lord, search my heart and clean out the gook? Clean it out, Lord. Help me to lay aside that sin. Looking for what? Unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. It doesn't say that we won't have physical fatigue, but if we focus on the Lord, if we focus on abiding in him, living for him, We won't be weary. We won't be discouraged because we know joy comes in the morning. And that's eternity. That's the joy that comes. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them with respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, it's 
for our good when he does this. That we may be partakers of his holiness. Not only is it for our profit, we get to know what that profit is to partake of his holiness. He's refining us for eternity. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. So guess what? When you have sinned, when that chastening's coming, when the Lord's trying to get your attention, it's like, this stinks. He told us it would. It's going to be painful. So you already know that. Nevertheless, nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There's a beautiful gift within that, but do we lean into it? And that's something we have to pray for the church at large because in a culture that doesn't want to talk about conviction or repentance because everyone's good as they are and nothing's wrong with you, we've got to be real. These are things we have to delve into. We can't run away from. And David goes there. David needed some chastening. Look at verse 6. Now in my prosperity I said I shall never be moved. Now, this isn't him saying, in my being in the prosperity gospel, no. But what's going on here? This prosperity that's being mentioned is his self-assurance, his self-righteousness. Things are going well. Things are looking good. I got this. David thought he could not be moved. Let's not look at that and think our culture is too far from that. Far too often, the only time someone shows up to church is when everything's falling apart. You got a little feedback on this mic, sorry guys. Is when everything falls apart. Or when there's no hope. That relationship isn't there. Or it's that person, yeah, I go to church sometimes. I'm there every now and then, but things are good. You know, I don't really need to be at church on Sunday. I got other things going on. And Wednesday, you expect me to show up on a Wednesday? I I got poker on Wednesday. I got this or I got that. But we just think everything's all good. We don't need communion with the Lord. Then suddenly everything falls apart. Ooh, we got feedback. Can we work on the feedback, my friend, back there? We got uh, feedback on this, sorry. We think everything is set and good to go, and we we don't need to do anything. And then things fall apart. And suddenly, God, can you help? God, I need you. If we think about our culture, 9-11 was one of those times I remember growing up. That happened. Suddenly, everybody was starting to go to church. Everybody wanted to pray. Because something took place. Things were falling apart. So now we need God. And we need to realize something. If we do not build that discipline now of continual dependence on the God of creation, we can become so busy that we become susceptible to the loving hand of his chastening to draw us back and humble us. We have to remember we're not God. We can't do it on our own. We all need Jesus. So it can't be something of getting to a place of thinking, I got this figured out. I don't care how many Bible verses you have memorized in your heart. You still need communion in his presence. You still need to sit in his presence, bask in his presence. May we be a people who live the words of that old hymn, I need thee every hour. I need thee every second. Let's be real. It's that needing relentlessly. Abide. Walk in the Spirit. Cling to Him. Verse 6 is where David starts to recall the sin that brought him to the circumstances of needing that chastening. If we apply it to the palace of his home or if we apply it to the temple, guess what? It's the same sin. Pride. 
It's the one that continually was that battle for David. Then we go to verse 7. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. David states and he points, he had that sin, but the fact is, the fact that he's still standing, everything that he has is from one alone, God. While he let pride run into those actions, his repentance, the discipline, the repentance, praying to God helps him keep that perspective. Do you have the perspective of I got it or do you seek to stand in his strength alone? Something we have to think of. Then we see you hid your face and I was troubled. Now there's something important to remember culturally what would be meant with face. If we think about Face, for the Hebrew culture, we're talking about God's favor upon people. If you think about what we see in number six, may his face shine upon you. May the favor of the Lord be upon you is what is being said. Ooh, sound fun. And within that disobedience, when there's disobedience taking place, those would be the moments when there would be this idea of feeling distant from God. Because they would say, okay, the face is turned away because the favor stopped. And what we have to realize is God's face never left David. We have to be realistic to that. His face never left. David feels the favor of God distant from him amidst the season of sin. God's faithful. God stays the same. The result of feeling distance from God, that feeling that he has, what does it do to David? I was troubled. And that troubled, the word there is pointing to intense anguish, pain, distress, agony, the worst of all. Because remember what we see of David. He lives in dependency on and in God. And when that now seems absent, simply put, it's a mess for him. How are we with that? We have to think about that. Sometimes we trick ourselves. We're in the storm. We're not getting the answer that we want. Things aren't moving fast enough because in our culture, you know, everything's instant. So if I pray to you, Lord, and you're not moving, I'm going to go take it in my own hands. And in those moments, we can say, God's not listening to me. God doesn't love me. God doesn't like me. God's not communing with me. No, no, no. God's just saying, be still. That's what he's saying. God is answering you. No answer is an answer. But we forget that. In those moments, what we should be doing is pressing in and wait. Press in and cry to the Lord. Press in and let the Holy Spirit utter on your behalf when you don't know the words. Press in and be still and know He is God. It's something we need to remember. Our culture's lost the practice of stillness. It hasn't really lost it. We call it mindfulness. And you empty yourself so you're open to all the demonic spirits of the world rather than thinking of how a believer is mindful. What did we learn in Psalm 1? Meditates in the word day and night. May we be a people who build the discipline of tarrying on the Lord, yielded and anchored in his word and his spirit. And we know how to wait because we know who's in control. Verse 8, I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. David reveals the cry of his prayer unto God. 
David cried in verse 2. We saw he's crying here. The emotion comes, but notice where David directs it. To God. Because there's only one true deliverer. Do your cries go to God or the world for relief? Do the rivers of your tears, after you've cried and cried and cried and cried and cried, the throats dry when you have that messy, ugly cry, do you go to the only one who can quench the thirst? Or do you cry and cry and cry and go to the world, let the world mop out your tears, and then wring you out in a circle? Our default, again, it's got to be God. It's got to be going to him. In verse 9, what profit is there in my blood? When I go down the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? David's aware of his calling. He's aware of the gift he has from God to be a worshiper. And he's saying, if I'm dead, I can't worship you, Lord. I can't worship and testify of you. David senses, if I die, I have no ability to continue the gift that you've given me. Don't let me die. That's his prayer there. And it's his faithful heart to God. But we have to realize something. When David is saying this, Messiah is not on the scene yet. For us as a believer, our words aren't going to relate so much to David here. We're going to relate more to Paul. Think of Philippians 1, 21. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. When we have the full counsel of the word of God, there's that different perspective. If living is Christ... It's all about the gospel. It's all about sharing who he is. It's all about living for him. It's about surrender to him. It's about all. But as Paul says there, to die, it's gain because he knows where he's going eternally. With Christ, David would know that true worship, the real worship, comes in that moment. Beholding the glory of God. Think of how it is when Moses beheld the glory of God. When Daniel, when Saul to Paul beholds it. When John, that awe, the inability to breathe, the inability to stand, the falling. All we will be able to do is be in amazement and say, holy, holy, holy. Then verse 10. Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. David here continues the cry and he's asking for mercy. Saints, remember what mercy is. It's asking to not receive what you deserve. If you have the word deserve in your vocabulary, I pray that all you say is, I deserve death, but for the blood of Jesus. Don't buy the culture lie that we have all these things we deserve. You deserve a vacation. You work so hard. The only thing we deserve is death. That's it. And we have to look to that mercy, the mercy that he gives David knows he's guilty, looks to the mercy. That needs to be a practice of each and every single one of us when we sin. Look to the mercy, but don't take that grace and mercy for granted. Don't take that grace and mercy and be, as we saw with the Gnosticism in Jude, thinking, okay, as long as my soul's good, I can do whatever I want. No, no, no. And then David asks God to be his helper. Lord, be my helper. Now that prayer is different for us with the whole counsel of the word of God. We have the helper, the Holy Spirit. We don't need to ask God to be our helper. The helper indwells us at salvation. We need to ask, Father, fill me afresh with your spirit that I might obey. We need to pray, Father, Holy Spirit, help me remember the word of God. Write it on my heart that I might not sin against God. The armor of God all starts, as we see, with strength and might from the Lord. And we have deeper and deeper access and communion With the Holy Spirit. Charge check-in, saints. We studied the Holy Spirit on Sunday. 
Are you seeking deeper communion already with the Holy Spirit? Are you a doer of the word of God? Have you been going before the Lord and saying, Lord, reveal what gifts you have given me through the Holy Spirit? Are you going there or not? Verse 11, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. The presence of God, the focus on God changes things for David. Time and praise refreshes the soul. It fills us with strength and it helps us to endure, to keep pressing on. Because we look to God when we praise and God and God alone can transform. And in that we see God putting new clothes on David. He puts new clothes on us at salvation. We become new creations. The question is, when you're getting dressed in the morning, which wardrobe do you put on? Do you put on the new garments? Do you put on the old garments? And verse 12, where we see my glory, that's speaking to the innermost being, the heart and soul, singing praise to God. Now notice, he doesn't say speak praise. Sing praise. We're called to sing to the Lord. And guess what, y'all? We have auto-tune, every single one of us. When you sing to the Lord, he hears an auto-tune. It's really cool. Now, we are a singing body of believers. But the singing, I challenge you, when you sing to the Lord in worship, shouldn't be about how loud you can be. That's not the goal of it. It's not how loud you can be. It's about how loud your heart for the Lord can be. When I used to conduct as a choir director, I used to tell singers, if I hear you over everybody else, you're not doing it right. Because you, when you're in worship, you should try, try this next time, this Sunday at worship. As you sing, try to hear the voice of every other saint. Try to hear the voice of every other saint. Because when you do that, I think it's a glimpse and taste of heaven. It's a glimpse and taste of heaven. Because you get to realize there is an army for the Lord. And I'm a part of that army. And we are one voice lifted up to him. Worship, praise is about our heart posture unto the Lord. And then how does David end? He says, oh Lord. Again, that oh Lord comes back. I will give thanks to you. How long? Forever. Because of the mighty deliverance of that moment, David gives thanks forever. Eternal praise, endless praise. Can you say those words and mean it? Not just nodding your head, but in action. Can you mean it in action? I will give thanks to you forever. So when we look at this, Psalm 30, the title was Why Extol? Why praise the Lord? Why? Praise God, it takes it off of you, puts it on him. When you praise God, it forces you to see his grandeur and brings you to a place to see how tiny you are and you have to humble yourself. When you praise God, you rid the chance of getting in the culture of the world cycle. Wine, complain, wine, complain, form a group and wine, complain. Wine, complain, wine, complain, form a group and wine, complain. That's our culture. We whine, we complain, we find others who want to whine and complain about it with us. We make a group and we whine and complain. If you praise, you don't have time to get lost in that. Because you're just looking to the Lord. When you praise God, it allows you to never be weary. You may be physically tired, but your soul will not be weary. That was something when my lovely bride went to a pastor's wife's huddle and they were 
talking about the Holy Spirit because God's trying to talk to his church and remind them, there's a Holy Spirit, commune with me. And that was one of the things the women were talking about in serving the Lord. Commune with the Holy Spirit, focus on him, abide in him. And yeah, we're going to be tired. Yeah, it's going to be long hours. Yeah, there's going to be a lot that comes with the calling of being a pastor's wife. But if you're in the spirit, you're not going to be weary. You're not going to be weary. And that applies to all of us. Abide, commune with the spirit. Praising God ushers in the power of his spirit to move as he ordains. Acts 16, 25, 26. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. We can't be folks that think of praise and say, well, no, we can't look at that because that's only applicable to Acts, actually. What do we say? What did we learn on Sunday? Yeah. That's a runawayer. That's a runawayer. That's one where we're thinking of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to talk about that. We don't go there. No, we got to go there. We've got to praise our Lord and we've got to be open to how he wants to move and how he ordains to do things. Sunday was the Holy Spirit. Today is praise. Can you blend those two together? What do you praise? Praise has attributes. Do an exercise. Make a list of the attributes of God. Take that list and pray that. Faithful, gracious, loving, good, merciful, long-suffering, kind, steadfast, pure, whatever your list is, and pray it. What's your charge for the week? Extol the Lord. That's the charge this week, brothers and sisters. Get alone, get on your knees Get in a posture of submission to the Lord and extol the Lord. Don't be casual about it. And go before him and extol him. Praise him. Memorialize his deliverances in your life and bring yourself to a place where you praise him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Bring yourself there. Amen? Oh, okay. I'd like to offer a praise, a musical praise, the last two verses. I don't know if any of you heard these. Let's do it. Thou hast turned my morning into dancing for me. Thou hast turned, thou hast loosened my sackcloth. Thou hast turned my morning into dancing for me and girded me with gladness. To the end my glory will sing praise unto thee, and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will sing praise unto thee forever. Amen. Amen. Wow. Praise the Lord. That's being a doer of the word right there. Okay? That's being a doer. Just go into praise. Praise our King. Amen. Sing hallelujah to the Lord. Sing hallelujah to the Lord. 
Sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you that you are the God of creation and in control. Thank you that we can worship you. Thank you, Lord. Help each and every single one of us, Lord, to extol you this week and always, forever. In your precious name we pray. Amen. If you stay, Don will teach you.